Stay tuned for The Turning Point with Mike Fader. is Mike Fader, and the show is The Turning Point, <clears throat> broadcast or streamed live every Friday at 4 p.m. here on um, prn.fm. I know that most of you listen to this show on a podcast. In fact, I, if I had to guess at the percentage, I mean, the percentages are available. I just never really looked into it, but... Uh, the great majority of people listen to this show on a podcast, which is to say they listen to it a day, you know, hours after it's done, after it's streamed. Uh, they listen to it uh, days after, and sometimes they listen to it weeks after. I get emails from people <clears throat> telling me that um, they're just catching up to the podcast of the show. 
And one of the problems with that is, and I'm glad anybody listens to the show. That's fine with me. You know, um, you're all welcome to listen. And if again, if you want to ever get in touch with me, it's uh, go to my website, faderfiles, F-E-D-E-R-F-I-L-E-S dot com, and you can join my mailing list and get in touch with me that way. <clears throat> like I say, I'm glad that you know that people listen to me, and uh, but I often do get emails from people saying, "Well, I'm a couple of broadcasts behind, or I'm just catching up." And the problem with that is, and it just occurred to me this morning. I became more aware of it actually last night when I was thinking about it, and this morning even more that um, I'm so used to doing over the time that I've done radio uh, 35 years now or more, maybe 30, going on 36 years, uh, something this fall. I started in October. No, I started in September. And I don't remember exactly when. September of 78 or 79. So do the 79. So maybe it's 36 or 37 years on the air. Um, <clears throat> excuse me with all the throat clearing. But obviously, you're, if you're a regular listener, you're used to it right now by this point. Um, what I'm so used to... Uh, over the uh, span of my broadcasting career is live radio. That's, that was, the, um, that was the, uh, the exciting part, the most exciting part. You know, talking to people in general, even if it's on recording or to be played later or listened to later, that's something I really appreciate, and I'm grateful that I have the opportunity. But there was a ex- certain excitement to live radio um, that... Um, that uh, I miss, I miss. And one thing there is about, one thing that's about live radio is that uh, people get used to tuning in something. I used to do a weekly radio show. That's, I've always done a weekly radio show. Um, never did a daily radio show. So I don't know, I, I have no idea what the preparation involved is. So when you do, I guess when you do a daily radio show, you're doing... Um, <clears throat> what amounts to a full-time job and more. And um, a lot of people get... Uh, paid well for that because of all the tremendous amount of effort involved. Uh, certainly they get paid something. A lot of these weekly broadcasts I did first at BAI were volunteer jobs because uh, BAI had no money. And if it was only once a week, they assumed that you weren't working that hard on a show, which they were wrong about. <laughs> I worked pretty hard on every show I did back in those days. And... Um, then later on, Sirius Satellite Radio, since it's a company, a commercial company, when I was doing a weekly show there, uh, I put in um, as many as, uh, as little as 10 sometimes and as much as 20 or 30 hours of work per show. It was a three-hour show. But there's something about the live radio that um, you can talk about things that are happening now. Now, even with the Internet, uh, where everything happens every minute, and um, you're always falling behind if you're not constantly tuning in or tweeting or whatever it is, or you know, posting something on your um, posting something on your blog. But uh, once a week was good enough to do um, <clears throat> live radio uh, to catch up with the current events that were going on. But uh, I realize now that uh, these podcasts, this whole new phenomenon, not so new, but this phenomenon of podcasts is that people will listen uh, a week, two weeks, even three weeks later 
I don't know what the average is. I wonder what the average is of what people listen to, how much later after I do the show people listen to it. I don't know. But um, I'm aware of the fact that I should be doing more radio shows that have a longer shelf life. In other words, that the, <coughs> the subject matter and the topics that I'm talking about are more uh, universal and extend over a longer period of time so that when you listen to the show uh, several days or a week or two weeks later, it still has some universal application. Um, <clears throat> I guess I got caught up, like I say, all these decades in doing shows that were always um, about things that were happening right now, things were immediate, you know, that uh, because people were listening live and people could call up and respond, which uh, we don't have. We don't have here right now this option, since I'm recording the show. But um, <clears throat> having said all that, I will try as hard as I can to do shows that are more um, that have a longer shelf life. <laughs> they have a longer shelf life. The subjects, uh, stories, uh, topics, things that are more, like I say, more universal, have a longer shelf life. Um, but there are some times when you have to talk about things that are happening right now. Uh, uh, and what's happening right now is this this show that I'm doing, this Friday show, uh, is the, uh, I forget the date. What is the date? November 3rd? I think it's November 3rd or November 4th. I'm not really sure. This is the last Friday. It's only uh, Friday, Saturday. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. It's four days before uh, people start to vote. I mean, people have already voted. I hear that something like 27 or 28 million people are voting, have already voted early. I'm not really sure that I, there's only one reason why I would like, that I like the idea of people voting early. Otherwise, it seems strange to me. Uh, this voting early, this is a new thing, right? I mean, unless you're voting by absentee ballot, let's say you're in the service or <clears throat> you can't get home to where your regular polling place is, you can vote by absentee ballot. I don't really understand why it is. There's apparently 37 states, um, the majority of states in the union where early voting is allowed. When did early voting start? I don't know. Don't know the answer to this. I guess uh, I could have looked it up on um, Google before I came in, uh, but I hadn't thought about that's what I was going to say. <clears throat> so early voting, I don't really understand uh, about early voting, but I could see the I could see one advantage to early voting, um, or maybe a couple of advantages. A lot of states, like New York State, apparently New York State, um, is it all states? I don't know. Maybe every state is different. Every state might be different. But New York City, at least, I don't know how it is maybe in other cities or upstate New York, but in New York City, you don't get a day off from work to vote. You don't get a day off from work. From vote. <clears throat> they don't make it easy for you to vote. And I don't mean uh, you know suppressing minority votes or young people or old people, people who Republicans clearly think are going to vote Democratic. But... Um, this idea of making it difficult to vote is um, very strange because it seems to me that if people are always saying and if we are assuming that voting is one of the main things you do or the main thing you do or the last thing remaining that you do, 
<laughs> voting is the last thing that we have, unless it's also just totally an illusion, and it feels that way quite often, that connects us to our own government. Because otherwise, we have no connection to our government anymore at all. You know, all these things that, uh, all these petitions that you see online and <clears throat> all these recommendations, write your congressperson, write your congressman, write your congresswoman, write your senator today, call up senator so-and-so, flood the White House with emails and with, um, do they pay attention to this stuff at all? I don't really know. Unless they pay attention to it for their own personal reasons. Unless they're paying attention because they, um, because they don't, they, you know, they don't want to lose their jobs and they're running for election. But so the idea of, uh, of voting seems to me should be a holiday, that you should have the day off to vote, that it should be a national holiday. After all, this was a, uh, the creation of our nation is the creation of a, was the creation of a democracy. And it was never one man, one vote. Uh, I'm not sure what they meant by that, but uh, it was one um, white man often with property, one vote not a black man. Most of the black people were slaves and certainly not a woman. So that's how it was in the original. Um, I mean, Trump is a throwback in a way. <laughs> there are ways in which people always say Trump, he's got nothing to do with democracy. He's got nothing to do with American democracy. Really? It was originally uh, in the 13 colonies, later on to become the 13 states, originally in the, uh, in the United States that formed the United States that um, that uh, where really uh, men only only men and basically white men could vote. So when Trump is speaking to an audience and he's saying, uh, "We're going to save our country. We're going to take our country back," that's who he's talking to. He's talking to white people, and he's basically talking to white men. And if he wins the election, which <sighs> terrifyingly, amazingly, unbelievably, it appears as if he has a he has a possibility of actually winning the election. I can't, as I say it, I am filled with ter terrible anxiety. Well, I'm filled with terrible anxiety at all moments, anyhow. But the very, the very thought that <clears throat> the Trump might win. Now I'm, you know, I'm broadcasting. I have no idea. Uh, I'm, a, I'm taking it for granted. This is just my opinion, right? And it's the opinion of most of the people who listen to me, I'm pretty sure, because after decades uh, on the air as uh, mostly a liberal or leftist, quote-unquote, uh, broadcaster with liberal leftist opinions and liberal left guests, um, usually when you broadcast something on the radio, you build up an audience that reflects that, uh, those opinions and what you say. So most of the people who listen to me are liberals and left, uh, if not just Democrats. Um, <clears throat> but I don't know who's listening to me right now. Could even be people listening to me right outside the door here in the studio going to vote for Trump. That's fine. That's democracy. People have... Um, no? Yes? <laughs> I wonder if anybody, I wonder if anybody in uh, Gary Null's office here is going to vote for, uh, for Trump. It's a secret ballot. People can vote for whoever they want. And <clears throat> I could understand one reason why people would vote for Trump. Actually, I can't, I, I truly, I can't say that. 
I can't, that wouldn't be honest for me to say. I don't understand any reason why anybody would vote for Trump. But I hear, I hear, you know, people used to say, I hear you, man. I hear what you're saying. They interviewed a bunch of people in, uh, on NPR. And NPR is uh, interesting, aside from the fact that it occasionally is um, a little superficial. <clears throat> you know, if I came from a place like uh, BAI and then I was running my own show on Sirius and doing these shows here on PRN, and when I think of some of the shows here on PRN, NPR has a tendency to be somewhat superficial <clears throat> and, um, <clears throat> sorry, kind of cavalier in their uh, broadcasting. But, um, and they will repeat things over and over again. They don't always give enough time to a subject or to a guest. Um, but uh, they are, interestingly, NPR is very, um, I know that if you asked most of the people secretly, who they were siding with or who they were voting with. Most of the people, 99% of the people on NPR would say that they're voting for Clinton or rather I should say against Trump. Some of the people on NPR might actually be voting um, uh, for uh, Jill Stein or, you know, or some, or, or certainly they were for Bernie Sanders. But they are very, what I would say about NPR is they seem to be very even-handed and that's fine. That's good. So it's interesting that you get both sides there. I mean, if you listen to a place like MSNBC, and I've been taught, you know, if you watch MSNBC, what you're getting basically is um, is liberal, uh, democratic liberal uh, television, and they uh, are going to interview guests, or <clears throat> they're going to interview guests, or have uh, quote unquote experts on who generally reflect that, although they, they do try, especially uh, one of them, Chris Matthews, they do try to have people on who uh, represent um, the candidate from the other side. They represent conservatives or Republicans or even Donald Trump. Uh, speaking of which, I saw Kelly Ann Conway, who is uh, the one basically running Trump's, uh, the public face and running Trump's uh, election campaign, <clears throat> and she's very effective. She's very uh, bright, and she's a very good debater, and she sticks with things. Uh, never mind her point of view and her candidate to me are, you know, that word, I always want to use the word anathema. I always get confused about that word. Ananathema? No, anathema. I have to go look it up and see what that really means. But, um, yeah, NPR is interestingly, is very, um, is very um, balanced. They interview people, and they will interview um, voters. I mean, I guess C-SPAN is like this a lot. I, I don't really watch C-SPAN as much as I should, but C-SPAN, the few times I've seen it, um, they are they are pretty neutral. They they interview both sides. In fact, they're very neutral. They're uh, the best that way. They will interview both sides of any election and uh, supporters and voters of both candidates. But NPR will do that too. And they interviewed somebody in Ohio the other day who uh, a woman who is voting for Trump. And they interview regular people, people like us, voters. It's not just always politicians or the spokespeople for politicians. In fact, they tend to do that a little less and interview people, thank God, uh, who are actually just real voters out there who, who the election will affect, right? Who the election will affect. And they interviewed a woman in Ohio the other day, who was a Trump supporter in a town where there are a lot of Trump supporters. And they interviewed her and they said, uh, why is it that you're voting for Trump? 
And there was all these other all these other reasons. You know, there's policy reasons like I'll bring jobs back. They both say that to the point where it turns into fog. You know, they're both going to bring jobs back. Um, and they talk about immigration policy. They talk about this. They talk about that. Talk about a million things. She said, and this is the main thing in this election. It's why the both of these candidates have uh, an unfavorable um, point of uh, they, they are viewed unfavorably by almost 60 percent of the people voting or 60 percent of the electorate view these two candidates unfavorably um, and I don't mean that as a total 60 percent of the electorate votes uh, think when, when they're asked about Hillary Clinton have an unfavorable opinion about her and 60 percent of the uh, electorate when they're asked their opinion about Donald Trump have an unfavorable opinion for, uh, about him <clears throat> apparently, and I can understand both reasons, you know, believe me, apparently it's never been that high before. It's actually never been that high before. Um, it's, it's a question, this election really is a question of who people dislike uh, the least. The person who will very like, the person who will become the president of the United States in just five days, who will be, I should say, elected the president of the United States in just five days, is the person who, uh, when you add up all the votes, and uh, I'm not going to get into the Electoral College because I don't understand it, but when you add up the votes, uh, will be the person that um, the average voter dislikes the least. And that's a sad, sad thing. Anyhow, back to this woman in Ohio, this regular voter. She was uh, asked why it is that she's voting... That, that she's voting for Donald Trump. And she said, which is really, and this is part of the unfavorables for both of these people, <clears throat> she said because, especially for Hillary Clinton, I should say, the unfavorables for Hillary Clinton are expressed um, succinctly and particularly by this woman in Ohio who said, uh, some of the interviewer from NPR said, uh, why are you voting for Trump? And she said, because he's not a politician. <clears throat> That's it. He's not a politician. People are, and there's a front page article in the New York Times today, people are disgusted. They are, they have, they have, and I use some, somebody used this word the other day, and it's a strong word, but it's true. People in this country, um, maybe 75, 80% of the people that you would talk to, this goes back to Occupy and everything else, and it's been going back for decades. People have contempt people in Washington. They have contempt for politicians. And the higher up the politician, the more contempt they have. People, yes, you know, uh, Obama is uh, a bright, entertaining person who has some integrity, right? I mean, you can't get that high up and you can't get uh, elected to that office having, you know, that much integrity. It's just impossible. It's been leached out of the system because so much money is involved. But he's not a politician, this woman said. No, he's not a politician. He is a celebrity. He is an entertainer. He's a celebrity. So we've got uh, a choice, really, that's going to be happening in this country between people who want to choose a politician, somebody who knows about politics, somebody who knows about government, and a man who really doesn't know anything about government and has never been in the government, but is a celebrity. He's a famous person 
and he also, I guess, is um, a businessman. Apparently, uh, from everything anybody uh, has managed to uh, get together about him, and there's even more to it, it's like the tip of the iceberg, he's not even that good a businessman. Um, But he's good enough where he has some properties uh, when he's not using false or phony tax breaks or using tax breaks that are allowed by law. Um, he's good enough, he's a good enough businessman to have created thousands and th- an empire um, or a kingdom of uh, properties and golf courses and hotels that have created thousands and thousands of jobs. So he is actually a businessman. So it's a businessman and a celebrity. But both, but, but Trump is so um, crazy in so many ways, and he's so deranged, and he's so temperamental, and he's so ignorant. The man is so ignorant that I find myself, along with many other people I know, um, and of course he has no experience in government, I find myself actually kind of terrified by the idea. I mean, I'm really, really anxious, and most people I know are extremely anxious. People who don't want Trump to be president are anxious that as they see the election go on and on, and I mean the election and the campaigning go on and on and on, and we're only a few days, thank God, away from uh, it all getting over with, because this is like a, a giant um, abscess in the body of the country, and it needs to be lanced, and it will be one way or the other on um, on Tuesday. Will we find out? Uh, but uh, will we find out on Tuesday night? I hope so. I hope it doesn't linger like Bush v. Gore. I hope it isn't that close. But amazingly enough and scarily enough, it is closer than anybody ever thought it would be. The, uh, the, um, the polls that they take uh, day after day after day, especially after what happened last Friday. And here's again where I was talking earlier today when I opened the program up about podcasts. When I refer to something... Um, you can see the date of the podcast, you know, by when you download it. And you can, uh, if you're streaming this today at 4 o'clock, you know what day it is, right? Oh, I hope you know what day it is. I don't always know what day it is, but I hope you know what day it is. And it's the Friday before election. It is, I forget. I don't see, I don't know what day it is. It's the 3rd or the 4th. Is it November 4th or November 3rd? Maybe uh, one of our uh, engineering staff can enlighten me and I can, uh, then at least I'll know what day it is. But uh, it is the Friday before the election. And the closer we're getting uh, to this election, the closer Mr. Trump is getting to draw even with Hillary Clinton and pulling ahead of her in some places. And as I've said many times before, and I could say one more time, I don't like Hillary Clinton. And I don't like her and her husband, who I see as uh, indivisible. Uh, Hillary and Bill Clinton and all their friends and all their connections I see is indivisible. They are too close to the rich, especially bankers. She's a hawk. She's a military adventurer. She has a heavy foot on the military corporate gas pedal. I don't think Hillary Clinton is going to do hardly anything to bring back jobs to this country. I can't see how she's going to. She just says it. <laughs> she just says she's going to do it. They both say they're going to do all this stuff. Although Donald Trump is saying a lot of things to people that no politician has said before because one of the reasons is because no politician wants to, uh, uh, most politicians have a fear of alienating anybody and they won't make too many definitive statements. But uh, Donald Trump, one of part of the attraction for him is that he's not political that way. 
he doesn't act like a politician. So he won't uh, just he won't say he will say the things that politicians, uh, you know, that that an average voter or many average voters are thinking or certainly many voters are thinking. And once again, we're thinking about white males and we're thinking about uh, lower middle and middle class <clears throat> and some probably upper middle class white people. This is an election, too. So he's saying the things that a lot of people feel in various places in the country. Um, and uh, no politician would dare to say these things if they want to get elected. And yet he's saying them, and yet he might get elected. The man draws closer and closer. And what happened was, uh, and the reason I was making uh, sure that we were uh, familiar with what day it is, the Friday before the election, the Friday before this Friday, and it seems like years ago that this happened, <clears throat> maybe that's the way uh, you know the, um, the news cycle goes. When something happened several days ago, it does seem like years ago. But th- this past Friday is when James Comey, the head of the FBI, uh, decided that he was going to send a letter to Congress, which, of course, was immediately leaked, and he knew it would be, um, send a letter to Congress saying that the FBI has come across <clears throat> apparently hundreds of thousands. I don't understand the massiveness of this number. I really don't. Has come across hundreds of thousands of emails that have wound up, and this is part of a separate investigation in, um, the FBI is making because it crosses state lines, I guess, of Anthony Weiner's um, potentially illegal sexting, you know, or sending sex texts to sex texts, <laughs> sex texts to, uh, to uh, an underage girl. And uh, they don't know what else he's doing either. So they're investigating his emails. And it turns out that on his email um, account, um, on his hard drive or whatever, or in his telephone, wherever his uh, texting and his emails are, not only are his emails on there, but also his uh, now estranged wife, Huma Abedin, uh, who is uh, Hillary Clinton's right-hand woman, the closest person, her closest aide for uh, a couple of decades now. So the FBI, uh, in the course, uh, according to James Comey, the head of the FBI, in the course of investigating um, the, uh, the, the Anthony Weiner, um, have come across an undiscovered and now discovered trove of hundreds of thousands of emails that could have something to do with Hillary Clinton and her use of her prim- uh, private email server when she's a secretary of state. <clears throat> and other things that they may be investing her, investigating her about. Um, and he said, now this has had a tremendous effect. It may have had a deciding effect on this election. And you have to worry, and you have to wonder about this guy Comey. Is he working for the Republicans? He is himself a Republican. He, because Obama uh, had a habit of bending too far over backwards, and what he likes to do is compromise, and I think this is a genuine... Uh, benign part of Mr. Obama's personality since uh, he always wants to try to please other people and he wants to try to cross bridges with other people to other people. He appointed a Republican to be the head of the FBI. And um, so Mr. Comey is a Republican. And what we have here is uh, an extraordinary thing that has happened. 
before even knowing what is really in these emails, before even knowing if any of them have anything to do with Hillary Clinton at all, before really knowing if any of them, uh, even if they do maybe refer to her, if any of them have any um, any uh, bearing on any possible criminality or misbehavior or violation of ethics or anything, before knowing any of this, he sends a letter to the, uh, I guess it's the um, Senate Judiciary Committee, though, was it the, that he that was investigating it? Uh, that, <clears throat> and he sends a letter to Congress, anyhow, saying that he's discovered all these emails and they may relate, they may relate to his investigation, which he said earlier in the summer he was closing or he didn't, at least he was temporarily putting a pause on it because he didn't really see anything that uh, that where Hillary Clinton had broken any laws, but now he's discovered all this all this new stuff, and it relates to his investigation. So he has to reopen everything, and he has to take a look at these emails. Well, without evidence, without ever really knowing, what he's done is uh, right before the election is to take place, when Hillary Clinton, before the day before Mr. Comey made this announcement, the polls. Uh, we're showing Hillary Clinton, and this is making a lot of us who didn't want, who don't want Trump to be the president, not, who, not people necessarily who like Hillary Clinton, because I don't know too many people who do. <clears throat> In fact, I hardly know anybody that likes her. But, uh, and I don't mean this personally. I mean, I don't know the woman. But uh, her policies, her behavior, her attitude, uh, her friends, her connections on Wall Street. <clears throat> Before... Before this, before Comey made his announcement and his letter to Congress, which was immediately leaked by somebody, inevitably leaked by somebody, she was, um, uh, by virtue of the fact that, uh, you know, that Trump had that Access Hollywood tape revealed and that many women had come forward to say that he had groped them. And everybody saw just exactly how sexist and vulgar the man was. Before that, Hillary Clinton was pulling ahead to the point where people were, re- were relieved. People who did not want, not, I'm not saying people who wanted Clinton to be president, who wants to, Clinton to be president, it's the same old, same old, right? But people who did not want Donald Trump to be president, who were disgusted and terrified by the idea of Donald Trump becoming president, were relieved. People were relieved because... Um, in many polls across the country and in national polls and state polls and local polls, <clears throat> she had pulled so far ahead that people were saying that uh, she was pretty well locked in. The electoral votes and the popular vote was pretty well locked in for her. And not only that, <clears throat> but she was pulling behind her the down-ballot vote. She was pulling behind her uh, senators, um, people in, uh, in the House of Representatives, uh, governors, all these people were being pulled in. Democrats were being pulled in by her. So there's a chance that there would be uh, many seats regained in the House and that the, uh, the Democrats would take charge of the Senate. Uh, and a lot of this has to do with the Supreme Court. If uh, Hillary Clinton were to be elected the president, that she could make Supreme Court an, um, appointments and they wouldn't be automatically blocked and stifled the way they had been for the last eight or nine months. Is it that long when Merrick Garland was, uh, was uh, put forward by President uh, Obama? I think it is. Anyhow, so she was pulling way ahead. Then Comey pops up and does this. And 
he may have cost her the election. Um, <coughs> and the reason, one of the reasons, or the main reason people said that he did it, although who knows why he did it. Nobody has a, a link directly into his. Who knows what's in the hearts of men? <laughs> who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? Uh, he said that he told, he told people that he did it because he was afraid that the information that he had discovered that there might be this whole trove of emails relating to his original investigation of Hillary Clinton, um, <clears throat> if he didn't tell Congress and that leaked, it would look very bad for him. It would look as if he was being pressured maybe by the Clintons, and it would just look bad for him. I'm going to take a little break here. I think we'll, yeah, we'll take a little break, and I'll try to recapture what's left of my voice, and then we'll be back in a couple of minutes. So the election, <clears throat> and once again, um, I'll uh, reiterate what I said <clears throat> at the beginning of the program, which is uh, I am aware of the fact, and I will try to do something from this point on, since there's nothing as in, nothing remotely as intense and as urgent and as imminent as this election, which has to be talked about. Um, I will. Uh, and when I invite guests on or when I go on and do my own program from now, from this point on, on this podcast, on The Turning Point, I will try to do things which have, uh, like I said, a longer shelf life, which are more universal and which are more extensive. So you don't have to uh, listen to it and say, oh, that's old news. Because a lot of you who are going to be listening to this after Election Day will find, will discover that it is old news. But... Um, so Hillary, so this woman in Ohio says, <clears throat> Trump is not a politician. People are sick to death of politicians. And they are also, uh, not that I'm major media, obviously, but they are sick to death of political programming, too. They've had it. They're sick to death of it. They don't want to hear anything else about it. People want uh, their drinking water to be safe. They don't want their groundwater to be poisoned. They don't, by various... Uh, chemicals from fracking. They, uh, they want to have enough energy. Uh, and the people who are aware of the fact want to have clean energy. Uh, people don't want pipelines uh, full of oil and natural gas <coughs> going across their land. People want their bridges and tunnels and, um, and railroads and highways where they live and where they go to work. They want them to, to work better. People want jobs. 
There are millions of people out of work in this country, millions of people out of work in this country. Is it possible to build a, a manufacturing base again or to recapture a manufacturing base in this country? You can't, according, I mean, you really can't make uh, companies bring back factories to the United States. Apple and all these other companies, and there's, <clears throat> you know, whatever, the, uh, a list of 100 companies, these people are not going to bring back jobs to the United States. There's no reason why they would. They pay people practically nothing overseas, and also they are using um, uh, countries, uh, other countries, as tax bases. Uh, will they ever bring back these manufacturing jobs? Can anybody make them bring them back? I don't think Hillary Clinton could do that. What you got to do is create new industries is what you got to do. The old uh, industries are not going to work. But if we can create new jobs in this country that have to do uh, essentially with alternative energy, uh, with, uh, you know, with uh, solar power, with geothermal, with wind power, if we can create plants in this country where people get uh, millions and millions of jobs also – it's just possible that if we can finally have Medicare for all in this country, if we have a single-payer Medicare for all program, that we may need to have um, – I know this sounds horrible to people who, uh, who say the liberals are all about government and government projects. Yeah, well, why not? It works that way in Europe. It works pretty well in Germany. It works that way pretty well in Sweden and in France. <clears throat> it works that well in these countries that um, – the government does employ a huge number of people who supply these things to, uh, to, to, their, uh, to their citizens. And there isn't as much unemployment in these countries as there is in this country. So Medicare for all, you would have to um, – after all, if you got rid of all the health insurance companies, you have um, <clears throat> hundreds of thousands of people who work for the health insurance companies. And you would have to – uh, you would have to hire people for to work for the federal and for the state government to take over their jobs. But hopefully it would be far more people that you'd be hiring. So, um, yes, he's not a politician. <clears throat> sorry, I'm really sorry about this. He's, Trump is not, he's not a politician. He's an entertainer. And I think people in the United States, though, and that's part of the the sad and awful part of American culture, which people don't even know the depth and breadth of, is he's not a politician, but he's an entertainer. He's a celebrity. People don't know, even the people who are in favor of him, the people who say they're disgusted and who isn't disgusted with politicians in Washington and disgusted with politicians in general. People who say this and they say they want anybody, but, you know, really anybody, they got to be careful. You got to be careful if you vote for somebody like Trump. Because even though, yes, he's not a politician and he's not the Clintons, and that's a relief, he is what he is. I mean, he, he, if he was elected, would he even know how to deal with anything? Imagine that guy, Tom, John, Donald Trump, hiring people to—I uh, to, mean, he would have to hire hundreds and hundreds of people for his White House staff and for uh, various agencies he would have to appoint— he doesn't know anybody to a point. He's never been in government. Yes, and once again, see, this is interesting, though. Um, as soon as you say that, people say, well, that's the point. He would hire people who are from the world of business or people who he knows who he's worked with before. Well, I guess all politicians do that, but they wouldn't be politicians. 
And that's, I think, one of the great attractions of the man. One, he says a lot, he blurts out a lot of things that a lot of people feel who would, even liberals or Democrats, would never say out loud. Would never say out loud. He talks about um, immigrants. He talks about Latinos. He talks about... um, Talks about Muslims, and he always he's always careful to say, um, you know, um, Islamic terrorists. He's always careful to say that, but what he really means is Muslims in general. What he really means, and he, when he talks about Mexicans, and he talks about how they're criminals, uh, and he makes uh, not so veiled references. He's very good at veiled and not so veiled references, uh, which don't actually come out and say, we have to watch out for black people. Make sure that they don't vote (laughs) and make sure wherever they do vote that you all come out and watch them. This whole thing about uh, getting people because of uh, this alleged voter fraud, which is bullshit. There is no real voter fraud in this country. Uh, The only voter suppression is from the Republicans and the side of uh, Republican state legislatures, uh, which are constantly being batted these laws that they pass in Republican state legislatures with Republican governors. To make it impossible, in some cases, very difficult to impossible for people who are Democrats to vote. And a lot of these people will be the elderly sometimes because uh, they rely on government subsidies like Social Security and Medicare. Um, So they tend to vote more Democratic. The young, who when they vote, tend to be more Democratic. And what's the reason? Think about why that would be, right? They're less set in their ways. They want to be... They, they actually believe in diversity. They were brought up with diversity. Uh, they really don't want to see such, so much misery and poverty around them. They're not, they're not set in their ways, in other words. And blacks and Latinos, all of these people are having trouble voting because of these suppressive voter laws. That's where the, that's where the vote fraud, it's basically election fraud. You can use a different word for it. But the real voter fraud is being um, perpetrated by the Republicans. They're the ones who are doing this. And yet Trump is uh, in, in his appeal to his uh, base, <clears throat> to his base constituency, to his base audience um, who are white people, usually lower middle class white people uh, and some middle class white people and usually white men. In his appeal to them, he is saying that there is a massive voter fraud we have to watch out for. And he's calling for people to come out in various cities. And he's calling, uh, he's saying, um, there are certain places, and you know what I mean, uh, where we need people to get out and watch the polls. And, and so there are, he's gotten, and although he claims that he personally isn't, uh, you know, funding any of this, he is asking straight out, he is asking his people to turn out in cities where there is large black populations and in parts of cities where there are large black populations to see whether or not there's any voter fraud, which is nonsense. There is no voter fraud. And if there's voter fraud, you could count it on two hands, right, across the entire country. Um, There are too many protections in place for voter fraud. And what is illegal is what he's asking people to do in many states, and there are federal election laws too which cover this. It's illegal. It's absolutely illegal to be out there videotaping and to be intimidating voters. It's against the law to do that. And um, 
So he's asking people basically, and he, I don't think he knows the difference really. I mean, this, that's one of the many things he's ignorant about. He's asking people to break the law. When he calls on people to come out and photograph and videotape and interview and ask questions of voters who are just entering the polls or, or leaving, um, that's breaking federal election laws. And <clears throat> the last I heard is that it's a criminal violation. So he's asking people to commit crimes, and he's asking people to intimidate basically black voters. That's what he's doing. So um, we have to watch out. We have to watch out for a guy like Donald Trump because <clears throat> he's used to being a celebrity. He's used to entertaining people. He stays up till 3 in the morning, or he's up at 3 in the morning or 4 in the morning sending out tweets. You can't govern the country by tweets. He's going to have to have long difficult, complex meetings with people who really know what's going on when you have a government. I think when people vote for Trump and just because he's not a politician or because he's so, um, he's so uh, occasionally morbidly entertaining you know, or oddly f or morbidly fascinating, <clears throat> they don't know what they'll be getting. They'll be getting essentially a person who's a fascist. You know, when there's unemployment in a places like Germany and other places, um, you know, in the 20s and the 30s, there was massive, horrible unemployment. Nobody, people were starving to death and there was terrible unemployment. Well, Hitler found the perfect cure for unemployment. He, using corporate uh, backing initially and then using uh, the power of the government to tax um, and the, uh, the budget of the uh, federal government when he got elected chancellor, <clears throat> Hitler organized, he took all these men basically the equivalent of, uh, of uh, a lot of the um, uh, supporters of Trump, a lot of the, uh, the white male, lower middle class and uh, out-of-work uh, white male supporters of Trump. <clears throat> he took the German version of that and, um, and uh, used corporate money and uh, raised money in other ways and uh, basically put uniforms on them, put uniforms on them, uh, and inducted them into, uh, into the Nazi party. So he gave them a purpose. He gave them a uniform. He gave them a purpose. And this was, you know, a classic fascist um, organizing tool and later became what became World War II and the concentration camps and everything else. Could Trump actually do something like that? Is Trump to be compared to Hitler? Yes, he is. Trump is to be compared to Hitler. <clears throat> he is organizing people in a way which is pure fascism. And the people, that, and he himself has, uh, according to somebody who did his biography or um, was spent a couple of years with him, a writer, a year or two years, whatever it was, um, <clears throat> says that he never saw him pick up a book. The man really doesn't really know anything about history. He doesn't, is he naturally a fat, I think he has natural fascist tendencies. That is to say that one man, him, he, knows better than anybody else what to do, and he's going to, uh, he's going to solve everybody's problems by simple solutions. And quite often these simple solutions are, you just pick a scapegoat. You pick a, a group of people, and now he's found Muslims, he's found Mexicans, he's found immigrants, and um, um, you know, he's, uh, he's uh, found, basically he's found black people. So he's got all these people who aren't us. And um, in Germany, this worked even better because the uh, scapegoats in Germany were 
Jews were the main scapegoats. And then later on, uh, liberals, <clears throat> and then communists, and then homosexuals, and then gypsies, anybody who's different than we are. Who's we? They were the white lumpen proletariat in Germany. They were, you know, they're the ones who wound up, along with everybody else, uh, most other people, they wound up without jobs, without money, and without food. And he uh, organized them. And his rage, he channeled all their rage and frustration. And he wasn't a politician either. It's the same thing. Hitler was not uh, a politician. Later on, of course, he became a politician just by virtue of the fact that he was, you know, the head of a party and, um, you know, that he ran political campaigns and he had political advisors. But he and his people originally were not politicians. And they might have interviewed somebody in Germany, in Bavaria, where Hitler came from, in 1926 or 1929 and said, or, you know, when he was running for chancellor, they might have said, why are you voting for Hitler? And uh, somebody might easily have said, because he's not a politician. Just like that lady in Ohio said the other day when they were being interviewed on NPR about Trump. Yes, he's not a politician. Lots of people aren't politicians. Criminals aren't politicians. Fascists aren't politicians. They're not politicians originally. And yet, in a way, they are politicians. I mean, what does that mean? Politicians, somebody who, um, who, serves, who is, uh, who is uh, serving the government. I suppose Hillary Clinton is your classic insider politician. And people are sick and disgusted. I understand that. I do understand it. I mean, uh, I hate the idea of, of voting for Hillary Clinton. I could always vote for uh, Jill Stein. And I don't know until I get into the voting booth what I'm going to do. I don't live in a state where it makes, or I, li I don't live in an election district, and I don't think I live in New, York, in New York State. I don't think it's that close. So maybe I can afford to vote for Jill Stein. Um, and I can vote my principles. Otherwise, I'll have to twist my principles and vote for, um, for Hillary Clinton. See how close the polls are in New York. <clears throat> Anyhow, uh, so once again, let me say that uh, from this point on, We'll find out this coming Tuesday who's going to be the president of the United States. And God forbid it's Donald Trump. Even if he loses, he's probably going to sue everybody. I have no idea. And slow the election down. And we'll see if we get the Senate back. And we can appoint some Supreme Court justices. All right. I'll see you again next week.
Down in the hole 